Uh, we are in a series here at Northern looking at the Gospel of Mark and as we read through the biography of Jesus' life that's recorded for us, we're diving in a little bit deeper into the text, into the words and the context in order to learn deeply together. So before we go any further, will you join me as we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that we can share it together in this space. We pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would challenge us and that you would change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So the passage that we are looking at this morning is the one that Amy just read for us. So it's from Mark, um, chapter 8, 22 to 26. Uh, So we're just going to dive straight on in. Um, So this passage, it's up there on the screen for you to to read back through if that's helpful for you. Um, There are a number of questions I think we have when we read this passage. And the most prominent for us tends to be about the healing Recorded for us here is a two-part healing. And there's been a wide range of discussion about why this is the case um, and what's it, what's it all about. And theologians have a um, range of opinions about these things. Some focus on the two-part healings and try to identify the kind of blindness and the, and the nearsightedness that the man experiences in an effort to explain the healing process. Others think that Mark told this story as a way to link it to other things that Jesus had been saying about the people and about the disciples in particular, not really seeing, not really understanding who he is. That this is a kind of image that explains spiritual blindness, that you can have eyes but not really see. It's not that there isn't value in these things, in thinking these things through and reflecting on them, but this morning I want us to focus on the story and what we do know from the story that's told here. So don't get stuck on the healing this morning. The healing isn't the only thing that Jesus is doing in this story. So let's walk through it together. When they came to the city of Bethsaida, the people who had heard about Jesus and his healing ministry brought a blind man to him to be healed. So here's the first thing. Jesus doesn't happen upon the man, and the man, as far as we're told, does not request to come to Jesus of his own volition. So why would people bring Jesus, a blind man? Without too much of a stretch, I think we can assume they want to see him healed. And part of that, I would hope, would be for the man's own good. But perhaps they just wanted to see a miracle firsthand. In response to the people bringing this man to Jesus, Jesus takes the man out of the village. He takes him away from the crowd. The spectacle. This man is not a sideshow to Jesus. This man matters. So the miraculous is never about the miracle for Jesus. It's about the person. Jesus is about restoration And the miraculous is sometimes how he does this. But Jesus doesn't do miracles because they're cool. I mean, they are cool, but that's not why he does them. So what happens next? Jesus spits in his hands and he places his hands on the man's eyes. And then Jesus asks the question, can you see anything now? This is odd. This is the part of the story where it starts to get odd. 
It's not very often that Jesus checks to see if someone he's healing has been healed. I think I would suggest this is possibly the only place where we have recorded that he does this. And this tells us that this isn't the norm. This is an exception. When we read the thoughts of the theologians on this, there are some that argue that the healing is accompanied by the faith of those who are requesting the healing or those who are experiencing the healing. And as this man doesn't appear to have faith and there's no mention of the faith that people have brought to him, the theologians have made kind of a deal of that. But here's the problem with that. Jesus heals people with faith and people without faith. His healing is not dependent on us. You can't purchase healing with faith. And you can be filled to overflowing with faith and not experience the healing that you hope for. So why does Jesus check? The short answer is, just to you know, keep you in suspense, we don't know. Jesus does not tell us why. He is the only one that knows that. But, <laughs> just to keep you a little bit longer, we do know that there are reasons that Jesus doesn't need to check. There are things that he um, doesn't need to do, and this is one of them. Jesus is all-knowing. He doesn't need to see if the healing that he's doing is working. He knows that already. And we also know that Jesus is capable. He doesn't have to do a two-part healing. He's healed people before. So if Jesus doesn't need the information, doesn't need the feedback from this man, he's asking for a different reason. So if you think about it from time to time, we all ask questions that we already know the answer to. And the purpose of a question isn't only to get information. We might ask um, to assess the knowledge of someone else, kind of ask them a question to see where they're at. We ask to teach or to train. We ask to build the confidence of um, others in their own knowledge. We ask to bring the person with us in our thinking, kind of ask them questions, kind of track along a journey with them. And we ask to encourage participation and to help them know that they're valued. The Bible isn't clear about this, but I suspect that Jesus doing, is doing a little bit of all of these. We don't know how much this man knows about Jesus. But we remember that Jesus cares about whole people, all of a person. Jesus doesn't only want to restore his sight. He wants to restore him as a whole person and a member of the community. So let's come back to our story. What happens in response to Jesus' question? The man looks around. He looks up. Perhaps that's a new thing for him. Maybe because he couldn't see, he hadn't been looking up. And he says he can see, but not clearly. He says, I see people, but they look a bit like trees. So Jesus covers the man's eyes with his hands again. And this time when he opens them, he sees perfectly. Jesus doesn't check with the man again. Instead, he knows that the man's sight is restored and he tells the man not to go back to the village, not to the main square on his way home. I want us to think about this from the perspective of the man. His experience is that Jesus brings his sight back. Going from blind to blurry is still amazing. 
But Jesus isn't content to leave him there. He goes, um, he goes to place his hands over the man's eyes once more. This time, even though it's blurry, the man can see what Jesus is about to do. And he lets Jesus do it. Just imagine that for a moment. The man is maybe or maybe not convinced of Jesus' abilities, but he's rounded up and he's brought before Jesus. Jesus takes him out of the limelight and then undertakes a healing process. Now, if you're the man, you have a choice about whether you let this guy have a second shot. Having someone else cover your eyes is an odd feeling. Would you let someone you just met in the street put their hands over your eyes? It makes you very vulnerable. You really have to trust that person. And though he doesn't ask, Jesus offers the man a choice implicitly. Will you trust me to restore you further? The man does, and Jesus provides him clear vision. And in this process of healing, in this engagement with Jesus, Jesus grows the man's trust and faith. And then Jesus seems to provide a direction, doesn't he? Go home, but not via the village square. There are, I think, two contributing reasons for this. One is for the man, I suspect. This healing will cause a great deal of attention for the man, and Jesus doesn't want him to be a sideshow, the same reason that he pulled him out of the village square to start with. The second is that it fits with a pattern that we see about Jesus advising or asking people to keep the miracles that he performs to themselves. As we have been going through Mark, we've seen this before. Jesus tells the disciples to keep quiet. He tells recipients of miracles to keep quiet. He tells evil spirits to keep quiet. While not always, Jesus has a pattern of trying to keep his abilities quiet. We have an example of this from Mark 1. I'm just going to read it to you. It's from Mark 1, um, starting at verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And this happens a number of times. We see it um, in, in Mark. And this isn't just in relation to healing. Mark is clear that Jesus teaches publicly about the kingdom through parables. And he does that seemingly to mask some of the teaching from those who are not really seeking God. I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this pattern this morning because we'll see it again next week when, the Jesus, when Jesus tells the disciples very specifically to keep quiet about his identity. People who've spent a lot of time um, reading and researching the book of Mark call this concept the messianic secret. Sounds fancy, doesn't it? This is particularly obvious in the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus as opposed to the other gospel writers. But if you read through the other gospels, this pattern is there. It's just not as prominent. Which begs the question, why is this so important to Mark's telling of the story? There are, of course, a number of theories. But here's the one that makes the most sense to me. 
Mark wants to be as clear as possible that Jesus is executed because he allows him to be, himself to be, for the sake of those who are far from God. The timing of that death was important and Jesus is the one who's in control of it. Mark doesn't want there to be any sense that the reason Jesus is killed is because he threatened the establishment, because he was making waves, because he got caught up in politics and unfortunately his life was taken. No, Jesus is in control. Jesus knows the timing. We know, of course, from the gospel stories that word about Jesus and his ministry spread. Jesus isn't trying to hide from people and he doesn't refuse to respond to requests of healing. If he was genuinely trying to keep his ministry secret, he's not doing a very good job. Jesus isn't hiding who he is, but he does select specific acts um, or teaching that he asks people not to share about publicly. And I think that Jesus doesn't want the man in this story to become a sideshow, but he also doesn't want to become a sideshow. In that passage from Mark 1 that I read to you, where Jesus heals the man from leprosy, the very next verse goes like this. So Jesus has just said to him, don't tell anyone. And he, but the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. It's kind of a practical reason why Jesus says, just don't don't tell anyone. He actually needs to be able to walk around and do some other things in his ministry. He needs to not become a sideshow. All the way through the gospel, Jesus is clear on his mission. And next week we'll see that he clarifies this mission further for the disciples as well. And while healing is part of that mission and it's part of his work, it's not the only thing he's doing while he's on earth. It seems to me that Jesus doesn't want the focus to be on the miraculous. He's interested in training a small group to live in deep relationship with God and to know what a life filled to overflowing in the spirit can look like. It does look like the miraculous, but it also looks like listening and learning and sharing knowledge. It looks like injecting hope and bringing restoration. It looks like prayer. It looks like rest. This is only my opinion. So, but I think Jesus is trying to keep the miraculous in perspective. So where does all of that leave us this morning? This curious passage with this two-part healing. I think the miraculous is not just about the miracle. It's what we learn here this morning. We see in this passage is the healing of a man, physical healing. But there's also a sense that the man's faith or trust in Jesus is grown in the process. Healing for Jesus isn't just about physical healing. Second thing I think we learn is that people are more important than the miracle. In this story, Jesus takes the man away from the centre of the village and tells him not to go that way home. Healing is personal. The man receives the gift of sight. And Jesus doesn't want for him to then have to live his life in front of a crowd. 
at least for the first day. I have no doubt by the second day, everyone in the village is like, you know, blind Bob, he can see now. And the third thing I think is the miraculous is not the mission. The third thing we see in this story is that Jesus doesn't want to heal people for show or get attention for himself. In fact, he goes out of his way to be clear that he does not want to gain fame from this experience. We'll have some time now for us um, to reflect together on how God might be speaking to us and for us to respond directly to God. The response cards that we um, have provided for you are there for you to write your response down if you like. Writing it down is helpful because um, it helps us own where we are and what we want to grow in. I'm going to put some um, questions on the screen. Now, not all of these questions might be for you. They're kind of big questions. But maybe you just want to sit with one of them. Just pick one of them that really speaks to your heart this morning and just spend some time working that through with God. So how are you going with trusting Jesus? Think about that man that lets Jesus put his hands over his eyes. Are there things that he might be prompting you to trust him with more? How are you growing in your knowledge of who Jesus is? What does that look like for you? Jesus is very clear about his mission. He doesn't get sidetracked by fame or celebrity. What is your mission? What does God have for you? And what does that look like each week? What has the greatest potential to sidetrack you? They're all really big questions this morning, which is why I thought we'd have some time and just pick one. Just really sit with it. Um, Stephen's going to play some music for us. Then I'll come back and close in prayer for us.
Lord Jesus, we want to trust you. We want to trust you more and more with all the different parts of our lives. God, we ask that you would um, point things out to us, ways that we can grow, ways that we can give things to you. Lord, we pray that um, individually and as a, as a church you would continue to lay on our hearts what you would have us do, the difference that you would have us make, that you would help us not to, to be sidetracked in that purpose. Lord, sometimes it's hard to figure out how we um, go about doing that week in, week out. What does it look like Monday to Sunday? to pursue your mission as we also balance all the other things, all the other parts of life. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that, that you would give us small ways to start. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.